I have a dream that all men are created equal. Fresh, like I was playing the game and then I press reset. Yeah, and the best advice yet, don't stop, get it, get it. A wise man said, Nah, he wasn't telling a lie. You can see and you can be, you just need to try. Uh, now that we open your eyes, it's time to jump out the window and learn to fly. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to your story. I'm your host, Ian Cat. This is episode 26. I'm back in Australia. It's been a long time, folks. I haven't been talking to you for quite a while. I've been busy getting back into my life. You know what it's like after a long trip? Well, yeah, that's what it's been like. Anyway, we've got an episode for you today. This one is out of Prague, but a few things first. There's more things over at the site. Remember, that is yourstorypodcast.com. Uh, you can leave a comment at the end of a post. I always like to hear from people. I'd like to ask a couple of other things. Maybe you can bounce me an email. I'd like to know, am I hitting the mark? Is this what you're interested in? What is it that you like or you don't like? What about the personalities I'm catching up with, the people, the style of people that you'd like to know a little bit more about? One of the reasons why I've done a few different types of podcasts is I got a comment that people might be interested in the migrant story. So I've actually chased that one a little bit. Do you have any ideas of the sort of things you may be interested in? What did you think of my addendum episodes? Or would you rather I just stick to the main Your Story episodes? They're just a couple of ideas. If you want to mull those over and maybe send me an email, and that is chat at yourstorypodcast.com. I really would appreciate it. Thanks very much. You can get your uh, iTunes and feed links over at the site. Remember, subscription's free, so you don't have to pay any money. I do this out of love. I'm really passionate about this. I want to get this stuff out to you guys. I want you to meet a few people that I meet. And it's also a good excuse for me to get out and meet a few people as well. But you can help the show, even though I don't want money. What you can do is you can actually go to iTunes. And there is a link over at the site. Uh, and you can leave a comment in iTunes. iTunes is really cool. If you leave a comment there, other people who go to iTunes will actually find me a little bit easier. And if people find me easier, then more people will subscribe. That's what it's all about. You can also stumble or dig me. There are links on the site to do the same sort of thing. If you uh, stumble or dig me, I go up the rankings within those organizations and people can find me a bit easier. It's all about the Google algorithm. If they can find me, um, if, if other people can find the comments that you make well then google gives it a bit more value and then it's easier for people to find the site and then they come across and they listen to the show and that encourages me to keep putting out content the links of course are from iota promonet we are we love iota don't we and uh, they give me the music that i use in this show and uh, if you want like the music if you want to have a bit more of it you can always go over there and uh, check them out but maybe buy a song or three anyway today's show when i was in prague Adam Daniel Mazay, who was on the last proper uh, episode, uh, introduced me to Michael. Michael is, in some respects, similar, but otherwise profoundly different to Adam. Adam did the whole Prague experience on his own, which I think is incredibly difficult. Whereas Michael did it with his Czech-born uh, Czech wife, and he has also come coincidentally from Canada. He's going to tell us his story today about what it's like to be in business and actually having to deal with the bits and pieces of Czech society that uh, can sometimes make it very challenging. And uh, I think it's quite an interesting show. I hope you enjoy. This is Michael's story. You got nothing to prove it, prove it. Just won't stop in you. Just don't stop. 
1st of August, 2008, we're uh, sitting in a cafe, Carver 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 in Prague, uh, and I'm going to have a yarn with Michael about a few things, particularly the fact that he's Canadian, but he's living in Prague. So welcome to the show, Michael, and why are you living in Prague? Well, it's, uh, it's a fairly lengthy story, but I'll try to, to summarize it uh, as quickly as I can. My wife is Czech, and we met in Canada. My wife lived in uh, which, what was then Czechoslovakia until 1968 when uh, the Russians invaded. And my wife didn't uh, want to subject herself to the, the Russian occupation after 68. So she and her fiancé left Czechoslovakia and uh, moved to Canada uh, moved to uh, Victoria, British Columbia, and eventually to Vancouver, British Columbia. West, on, west on Coast. West Coast yeah. of British Columbia, of uh, Canada. I moved to, Va- to Vancouver when I was about 27 to practice law, I guess, essentially. Oh, you're a lawyer. Uh, I was a lawyer in Canada. So I decided to go to British Columbia in, in about 78 and then met Dagmar in uh, about 1980. So Dagmar had already been there, what, 12 years? Dagmar had been there, uh, yes, between six. She actually arrived in 69. Okay, so you met in Canada. Yep. But we're in Prague. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, right. like, okay, she's, she's Czech. She settled into Canada. Why didn't you stay in Canada? You're a lawyer. You're earning, well, lawyers earn far too much money. So, okay, okay. So, um, good, fair, fair question. Fair question. <laughs> My wife didn't leave Czechoslovakia voluntarily. She left because it was invaded by the Russians. It was always her intention to go back? It was always her intention to go back. And she didn't think that, her, that she would have to stay away for so long. Yeah. But uh, the Russians stayed much longer than they're welcome. And by 1980, they were still there. They were still fully entrenched. Oh, they were very much entrenched. And and she wasn't about to go back in 1980. I was practicing a uh, type of law, which is matrimonial law, which was fairly lucrative but highly stressful. Flash forwarding to the early 1990s, when communism had fallen, the communists had been kicked out, in 89, in late 89. That's when the Berlin Wall went down. The Berlin which, Wall went down. The, the Czechs... Uh, when did Czech, Czechoslovakia in, in become actually, free? Actually, it occurred in October. Uh, October of 1989 was the fall of com- the Communist Party in uh, the Czechoslovakia. What did Dagmar think when that happened? She cried. <laughs> I've heard that a few times. You know, she cried. She cried. She was so happy. What about you? What did you feel at the time, being a Canadian? I'll take it you were married by this stage. We were married. We we'd, we'd been married despite being a mat- been, matrimonial lawyer. We'd been married. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we. So, you, so in '82 we were married. In '89 the the uh, communism fell. I, I visited Czechoslovakia in 87 during communism. And uh, I must say my impressions of it were that, that they were these people were, although they were not uh, joyously happy, there was a certain contentment, a certain acceptance of the status quo. And my uh, 
thinking was, and, and Dagmar's thinking also was, that communism was going to be there indefinitely. Right. And uh, so, was there shock and surprise when the war? It, it was quite. Came down? It was quite a surprise that you know within within two years of our visit, uh, the whole thing fell apart. When in a, in the summer of eighty seven, it looked like it was there forever, indefinitely. So, you said Dagmar cried when the wall came down. What was your reaction? Because you were, you didn't grow up in it. You'd seen it. You were married to this person who cared a great deal about. It. What was your reaction when it all happened? Did you have the same emotion as she well, had? Well, no, oh, no, no. I did. I didn't have the same emotion, but I had. A, uh, it certainly perked my interest because, I'll tell you. Uh, although, like I said, the the Czech, Czechoslovakia in '87 was uh, a very sobering experience. People were were very sort of complacent, but it had a spirit captured to my. Uh, you could just feel it. Just being walking the streets of Prague in '87, even though it was there were scaffolding all over the place, and the place was an incredible state of disrepair as a result of communist neglect, uh, it still had, with you know this this spirit that, and it was the spirit of the the many many generations of people who had lived in this, and it's those those many generations of people depth of the history that sort of captured me. Coming from a, a young country like Canada, you know, you don't, you don't see, you don't see that kind of history, you don't see that kind of depth. That, for me, in 87 was very, uh, it was quite, quite significant. So we started thinking, what about coming back? We actually visited here together in, I think it was 1990. And again, there was a cert certainly a, a, a more upbeat feel to the city. And there was multitudes of tourists. You're, you're fluent from what I've seen in, in Czech at the, now. Uh, I don't know if I would use the word fluent, but I, I, can, I can carry on a, the, a necessary conversation with my customers and my, my employees. Right. What were you like in 1990? <laughs> I I, I was, Had you learned Czech from Dagmar what, living in Canada? No. No, there was... I, uh, there was no real reason to do it. There was there. I, I shouldn't say that I was totally ignorant because I would listen to my wife speaking with her friends in Czech, and I would be kind of curious about what that she would, what she was talking about. And I would hear often. I'd hear once in a while her use the word manjal, which means husband. So I knew she was talking about a husband, possibly me, and I was curious what she sang about me. And so, so I kind I did pick up an odd word here or there, but uh, I was no, in no way uh, you know, able to, to, to carry on any kind of conversation. So when did you come to the Czech Republic? We came to Czech Republic in 1995 uh, after closing down my law practice. We've, we've got an immigrant story here. Somebody who's come from Canada. How did you approach that whole aspect of being an immigrant? Your wife's local, so you've already got a, a substantial in to the culture. What was it like migrating? What was it like getting into the culture? Um, you can go to school and learn the language, but that's not the culture. How did you, how was that? Well, it's still happening, Ian. It's still, I mean, it's, it's still in process. It's kind of hard. I'm still in the middle of uh, acculturation because uh, I'm still basically a Canadian uh, living in a, a foreign land. And uh, Do so, Czechs let people in readily? No. <laughs> it's a closed shop, is it? It's not a closed shop, but it, it 
they, they and they let you in, but uh, you have to jump uh, numerous hoops. You have to go through a lot of crapola, a lot of uh, bureaucratic paperwork. They're not a welcoming people, no. And and it's understandable why they wouldn't be. I understand why they're not. Why they, is that? Well, they're a small country, and. They, they're not like they're not an enormous country like uh, Australia or Canada, where you know opportunities are almost unlimited. They're a small country in the middle of Europe, and they've they've been invaded and occupied by so many countries. I was going to ask that. Yeah, they've does, been they've been invaded and occupied by so many different. Uh, does that does that cause them to be a bit protectionist about you know letting people in? Uh, I, I would say it, it does. It, it, uh, th I think they, they, in a way they're a practical people. They understand that they need foreigners here to teach them the new, new technologies or other technologies. You know, that they have developed behaviors which, although they don't, you don't reject foreigners, they treat them in a way that uh, discourages only except those that are hell-bent on staying here. And I include myself. No, I was going to say bloody-minded. In that, that I'm going to be here. I'm here. You like take me or leave me or whatever, take it or leave it. But I'm here. Uh, I mean, I, I, we've invested all. We invested all our savings into the into these businesses. So basically, we have nothing back in Canada to go back to. Uh, we'd have to start over from scratch to go back to Canada. So we're here. This is custard's last stand. You're. You've got. This cafe, Carver, Carver, Carver. Yes. Carver means? Coffee. You know the Carver drink from South Yes, Seas? I know, mm. and then we, we, get, we get confused. Mm. And yeah, we I get lots of, lots of people uh, send us uh, emails asking uh, to, if we can send them Carver, which I understand is some kind of uh, nerve. But that's not the point. This is coffee, coffee, coffee. This is your cafe here. Um, how hard was starting that up, getting that into place? Because from what Adam's told, told me, it's almost impossible for a non-national to get a normal standard employed job. It'll be basic wages and nothing much else. It's very hard. So it sounds like most of the expats living here in Prague are actually business owners of one shape or form. But I can speak to starting up a business here, and I can tell you that it it's ain't easy. And I can tell you that if it wasn't for my wife and the fact that she's Czech and the fact that she understands their language, she understands their mentality, she knows where they're coming from, in a, at least in a very general sense, uh, and she knows what to watch out for. Uh, I wouldn't have, we, I on my own wouldn't have had a hope in hell uh, to, to open this business. Uh, she, you know, she was absolutely instrumental in because we we at the beginning we had many meetings with our landlords with suppliers with employees with a whole range of people that you you have to meet and you have to have meaningful interaction with in order to get a business off the ground and uh, most of these people were checks it would it's it would be impossible for me to have done it on my own. No you mean that literally? You would have failed if you had attempted this on your own. Well, with with the resource, with the, mo the money that I had or that we had, uh, is most certainly yes. But most certainly. Wow, big statement. Most certainly. If it was just me and that same amount of money, uh, there would have been no way. But there was me and there was my wife who was who was Czech, who understood them and could converse with them. We were here. 
uh, we fought it all, all the battles ourselves and um, we're still here. The Canadian culture I think is very similar to the Australian culture and there are some parallels with the American and the British cultures but primarily Australian and Canadian is very similar. How does that compare to the Czech culture? Well it's there, there are uh, a lot of a lot of differences and I'm still learning about Czech culture and the Czech personality. They're, are they happy people? You know, I, I think that they've the, the ones who are here uh, have come to some have come to an accommodation. I think I think what's interesting about the Czech is that they have learned how to make accommodations to greater powers. There was a time I think when the Czechs were a, quite a dominant force in Europe. Then they had there was a battle. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Czech history, but there was a battle, they call the Battle of Bilahora or Battle of White Mountain, in which occurred in 1619. And, and the Czechs, the Czechs lost that battle. Prior to that battle, they were a serious contender for being the d dominant power in Europe, a dominant power in Europe. After that battle, they were they were relegated to a status of basically being part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They were basically a, they were dumb, they were occupied and uh, dominated uh, people. Right. And and they've, and then they they stayed that way basically until the end of the First World War. And then the, through the efforts of Masaryk and uh, American President Woodrow Wilson. Yep. They were able to establish the first the first republic, which was a, a successful democracy, capitalistic democracy, until Hitler decided to come stomping in in thirty nine. In thirty nine, and so that was like a, that was just like a brief interlude between being occupied by the, being part of the Austro-Hungarian and then being dominated by the Nazis, and then at the end of the Second World War, there was another very brief interlude. And then in 1940, uh, I believe 48, the communism communists took took over. Another set of jackboots came down, and another set of jackboots came down. So the che the Czechs have uh, you know learned to make accommodations and to live uh, in these circumstances. And it, you know you hear all kinds of words like passive aggressive and things like that, which are you know which have some truth to them. Are the Czech people? Are the, is the Czech government? Is it something that is actually motivated do they actually are they out for themselves are they are they driving themselves forward into a brave new future or are they just sort of limping along on the coattails of the rest of europe the biggest problem that the politicians have is that nobody trusts them uh, is, is, <laughs> that, nobody, is that valid are they dodgy are they, I, I, and are i think i think i think they are dodgy you know I, I think i think a lot of them get into i think a lot of czech politicians they look at the west and they, they see these politicians who all have great lifestyles and lots of money. And they think, gee, uh, if I become a politician, I can have a great lifestyle and I can have lots of money too. But they, what they don't realize is that these politicians usually accumulated their wealth before they got into the politics. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And most politicians don't earn a lot of money in I politics. I know, they don't. But, no. they, but Czechs don't, they don't understand that. That, that. that hasn't computed yet. Right. They think, ah, if I become a politician, I can have lots of power and lots, and therefore lots of money. So then, when they get into politics, they try to use their power to make money for themselves. Are they? Is, are they? Do they tend to be corrupt? Uh, I think there's a fair amount of corruption, you know. 
And 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 there's a fair, there's is it blatant corruption? Like around the world, you'll get a well, it's, you'll it's, get Exxon giving a bit of money to the Democrats or the Republicans in the U.S. to make sure that yeah, whoever gets in will look after Exxon. You know that, that sort of political donations happens around the world. But then there's blatant corruption where somebody will actually say to a developer, "Hey, if you want to dam this river or if you want to knock down this suburb, just give me a backhander." Yeah, you know, give well, me a house. Think, is it bl- that blatant? I think it is. I think there is that blat- blatancy to it. And uh, in fact, there's, it's been so bad they have these. Actually, every once in a while, they have these move, anti-corruption movements where you know, some politician says that I'm and I'm going to stamp out corruption. You know, but what he's talking about is stamping out all the other <laughs> politicians' corruption and none, not his own. And once he gets in power, he, you know, he's as bad as the, the people he's uh, gotten rid of. That's the, but the main difference that I see is that, that, the, politi- that the, the politicians here uh, see politics as a way to gain, to gain power and then wealth. Whereas in, in, in North America and, or in Canada and the States, it's usually the people, the, the, the politicians, they make their money, they get, they, uh, get their power in private, private enterprise, and then they use that as a springboard to have for, towards a successful political career. Yep. That's the usual format, yep. right? Yeah. But it's not the same here. It's it's different. They, the the one that you very rarely see uh, wealthy individuals getting into politics. They they're they're happy to stay and make their lots of lots and lots of money. When a politician comes into power, do they leave politics wealthy? I think in some cases they do. How much does that impact on you as an expat, expat living here, wanting to um, set up a business? Does that well, just burden you with more hassles? Yeah, like, like I suppose I'm asking, yeah, I just realised I'm probably almost asking you, have you had to pay backhanders to get things through? We, ha- we have not, and we have suffered uh, as a result of it. My wife absolutely refuses, and I have never even really thought about it. And we, we were actually realised well, after the fact that uh, the people that, that were renting us this platis where we, where we are speaking right now, uh, we're waiting for a bribe, and are actually we were supposed to open up this cafe bar, uh, June 1996. We signed a lease for this place in June of 1996, and we were told, not it wasn't in writing, but we were told that oh you you should be open and running by October or November. Three or four months. Three or four months. There, there were they had, the the landlord had to do some improvements, and then we would then then our construction people had to install the bar and, and the rest of it. So they the the idea I guess was that the the, the construction was going to take two months, and then our phase was going to be another two months, and we would be running in the fall. Nothing happened. They didn't do any work until actually the spring of the following year, the spring of of eighty seven. Of, 90, of, of, 90, 90, of 97, sorry. of 97, yeah, 90, spring of 97. 90, sorry, going to get these years all, all screwed up. They were eight months late, basically. And was that because if you had agreed their they, palms, and, would it have been faster? I, I b- believe so, Ian, I believe so. Okay. Nobody ever, nobody ever came up to, nobody ever came up to us and said, hey, uh, give us some money and we'll speed this up. They, they were much too cool for that. Well, that seems to be, from what I'm gathering, that's the Czech style. That's it's the Czech style. so laid back. So you've got cool. to know, You've got to know how to exactly. motivate them. Uh, Adam says it's now, part, you know, it's what, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. He said Friday afternoon. Everything shuts down after midday on Friday afternoon. It's yeah. all, it all sort of winds to a, a stop for the weekend. Oh, yeah. That just sounds extraordinary. I couldn't imagine most 
international and cities around the world that would stop before mid or basically by midday on the last day of the week. And then and then the weekend you forget about it and even don't go into a restaurant and expect friendly service because I think here here's another little theory I have is that during communism uh, the weekends were sacred. The weekends nobody messed with your weekend. I mean there there were weekend people, okay? I'm sure that the the whole country didn't shut down Saturday and Sunday. There were special people who, part of their job description, they had to work uh, the weekends. But that, those, these were the exceptional. Otherwise, the weekend was the time you went to the chata, to your cottage. You laid back and you enjoyed life. They were sacred. Now, in capitalism, weekends are, the, are supposed, actually, the most, one of the busiest commercial times of the, the week, mm. Saturday and Sunday. There should be, and they are, in, in North America, they certainly are, when you know, the weekend is shopping day, and Saturday is shopping day, and Sunday is whatever day. Cafe day. Cafe day. I, I have always sensed this resentment in the checks that the, on the weekends. The service in the restaurants is a, just a little bit, you know, resentful. Right. The, the, smile, the, the smile of the waitress is just a little bit subdued. And, and and like our employees are. I mean, we we can we find people to. We're open on the weekends, both cafe bars, and we have people working there. But my God, it's hard to get people to do it, and you have to pre- almost beg beg them to come and work for you on the weekends. You've got two. You got. You said you've got two boys. Yes. Two children. Yeah. Where, where do they live? Older son, who is actually from my wife's first marriage, uh, is a pilot with Air Canada. In living in the outside of Toronto, the younger son, from our relationship, is uh, has just actually recently, within the last three months, gone back to Vancouver. He before then he was living here, and helping us with this business and trying to develop a career as a film in documentary film, which is he, he still wants to do it. Is he bicultural, bi- bilingual? He speaks Czech. Is he bicultural as well? Which is a slightly uh, different animal. No, he's uh, he's a Canadian boy. He's he and, and and I think he's much more Canadian than even I am. Maybe <laughs> because because uh, he uh, you know he doesn't like it here that much. Whereas I like it. I, I enjoy it here. And uh, what do you like about it? You know, you've been telling me quite a few things that you don't like. You know, the, I I, I, I like what I what I said when I first felt here in nineteen eight in eighty seven was this sort of the feeling of being part of a. I don't know. Part, just part of more part of history, more part of uh, more part of a culture. Like I don't know how it is in Australia, but but it's like Canada. But like Vancouver is a beautiful city. It's got lovely mountains around it. It's got beautiful glassy, plasticky buildings all over the place. It's got lovely beaches in the middle of nature. Uh, but it doesn't. There's there's just not this density of culture no soul no soul to it yeah you can you just you can walk down the street and you feel like you're bouncing from one glass building to the next whereas here you walk down you walk across the charles bridge which you probably haven't done yet. i have actually gone to the very end of it today i saw the end of it it's under construction unfortunately right now so it's not as, as beautiful but you walk across the charles bridge and you know that you know that people have been walking across that bridge for since the, the 13th century, you know, mm. I mean that's that's something. All those people and 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 uh, all those generations and 
it just has this sort of thing that grabs me, that has kept me here for the last 12 years. So like I say, it's more really the people who don't live in Prague, who lived here a long time ago, that keep me here than the people that are here today. The but you, you have friends here? Oh, yeah. And I mean, Czech we, friends? Oh, yeah. We have Czech friends. My wife, is, you know, because through Dagmar, we have lots of, we have Czech friends. And having, you know, running to cafe bars, you, you have friends. You have Czech friends. Despite all those things you're saying, you know, the corruption and the, the, you know, the attitude that the Czechs have, particularly in business and things like that, when you get into the people themselves, when you get down to the nuts and bolts, the friends, the people that you invite around for dinner, and you have a glass of wine, you laugh and joke, go fishing with those people, is there any difference? between them and your friends back in Canada. Is there a cultural difference between those intimate Czech friends and your Canadian friends? Are people the same or are Czech people at, at a core actually different? Okay, Here, here's where you, gotta, you have to differentiate between the ones who were brought up during communism, who are more our age and who are more on a level with us, Dagmar and I, and the younger people. The, young, the younger generations, the ones who were born up the twenty-somethings. The twenty-somethings, who don't really remember communism, are substantially different than the people that were brought up in communism. The people that were brought up in in communism, there's a different psychology at work. There's a the psychology of accommodation, psychology of making adjustment, not rocking the boat, fitting in to communism, because. I don't know how familiar you are with the history of, of, of the communists, what happened here. But from 48, when communism, when the communists took over, until 68, communism here was, was actually, they tried to make it work. There was a, a hope and an optimism that communism could work in this country. And Adam mentioned yesterday the summer of 68. The summer of 68 is when all that came crashing down. Well, yeah, but just before it crashed, there was a moment yeah. where socialism was working at its best. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, socialism with a human face or whatever yes. they call it. Yes. So there was, there's that phase when they, there was a hope that communism could, as a system, work. After 68, that hope, I think, for most part died. But yet communism was still there. So that the people that grew up are, were living and, and had to make the adjustments. And unlike my wife, couldn't take off and yes. had, to, had to stay here. Those people, you know, are, are very, very different from the type of people who actually we employ, late teens, early 20s. And uh, the, these, are, these are people who are, are very, very different. So my question was relating Australians and Canadians and British and Americans to the Czech people, you know, on a personal, intimate level. Now, are you saying that the 20-somethings are more like the rest of Europe, the rest of the Western world, whereas the communist people, who are a bit older, our age and older, are inherently different, even on an intimate, personal, one-on-one -on -one level? Yeah, I think that's that's what I'm saying, that there are there there's a different uh, psychology at work with them oh. happening. Is that a shame? Or is that... No, no that, that, I mean, it, it's just the way things are, the way it is. It's, uh, you, know, you know, in some ways it's a shame because it limits them. In other ways, it's not a shame because it, they are happier and more adjusted to this society. Then, say, for example, my wife. Let me use her as an example. She was uh, brought up 
in this uh, time frame that we were talking about, the happy years from 48. She was actually, she was the last baby, or one of the last babies born into a, our non-communist uh, Czechoslovakia. Right. She was born in January of 1948. Okay, just before. In February, of, in February of 48, the communists took over. Right. So, so she was one of the last babies. She, and so she was brought up during this era, this era. Communism, people fought it and tried to make it work. That's, and when she left, she left here, a different country than what she came back to. Very different. She does not like it here. Anywhere, anywhere near as much as I do. Oh, really? Even though yeah. she's a, she's a national. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She she complains bitterly about it. She oh. complains bitterly about the people. I th I think she's a bit. She has a little bit of a warped view, and we argue about this quite a bit. I like ran a business. I ran a law business for eighteen years in Canada, and I know that in business, it's it's not nice, nice. It's tough. It's you want you want a business to go. It's it's tough. And uh, whether it's in Canada or whether it's here, it's tough. Whereas in Canada, she was just an she worked for a big uh, department store, and uh, so she she didn't have to run uh, she didn't have to run uh, her own business. Whereas here, she does. Right. She's done. She she's got to you know deal with this this all this crapola that's involved in running your own business. She thinks she I think she thinks that this is really only found here in the Czech Republic. No, it's around the world. I know it's, yeah, I know it's all around the world, and it's even tougher in Canada in many ways than here. Tough as hell. These issues that you're talking about where the uh, Czech culture is difficult to work with, when the gen our generation has fallen off the peg and the 20-somethings or 40-somethings are 60-somethings, do you think this is, that's going to be a, um, a new dawn for the Czech Republic? Do you think it's going to change, or do you think those prejudices are going to transfer to this modern generation? I believe that the, the modern generation is going to be in very good shape. I think I don't I don't think that they've been cursed by the the old older generation. I think that no, I I think that they they will do fine. And in fact, they did very. The Czechs did very well between the two wars. Definitely. They had one of the most successful economies. In all of Europe, they are very hard. They're hardworking people. They are technologically clever in many ways. You know, generally speaking, they're very. They're a very good sort of combination between the German and the Slavic. They they com they combine uh, those two things very well, and I think that they will. I think they will do very well. So maybe in the next over the next generation, as the twenty somethings mature into business owners and politicians and leaders. There could be a new dawn for the Czech Republic. I believe so. coming out of the well, everybody post-communist era. Everybody thought that it would take one or two generations. You've got to redirect from basically three generations. Mm. There were three. You're talking about three generations from when you know, when, when the Nazis invaded to the time of the fall of communism. I noticed the same story in East Germany. It looks like all the communist countries have got this transgenerational shift coming through, and it's going to take time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the West came in and made a, a mozza in the first few years when the wall came down, but the actual long-term benefits are going to be transgenerational, one or two generations. It seems to be the way it's going from what I'm picking up from people mm -hmm. who know a lot more than me. You're happy to stay? You're happy to grow old I'm, and, I um, and I'm, uh, retire? I'm happy and to... As long as our businesses are, are doing well, as long as we're 
you know, we're making a go of it with these businesses, I'm happy to be here. I like going back to Canada, I like visiting Canada. This is my home now, basically. I'm prepared to stay here as long as we've got a business. I don't know that I'd want to be here without having a business to run a, or, or a very good job, a very interesting job to do. I, when, I, don't, when I, don't think, I don't think they're very good to the old people. These well, days. that's where I was just about to ask. They're you're not, you're 70, not. 70 years old, you've sold the cafes, you've made a, 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 a bit of money, you've got a, you know, got a nice cottage in the country if you want it. Would you do that? Would you settle down into uh, an 80-year-old lifestyle here in the I, Czech Republic or would you chuff off somewhere else? My, like my, I was telling you, my father, who's 95 years old and lives in St. John's, Newfoundland, is an engineer. He's still active. He's still, he hasn't... He's actually more active now than he's maybe ever been. He has got he has projects that keep him busy and and, and would that work here in and Czech? Could like I said, my observation is they do, they're not very nice to their older people. As a, I don't think they're as nice as uh, Canada is. Canada has uh, a much I think better way of, of dealing with older people. So I might think about going back to Canada. I mean, we, we want these businesses to, to go, and uh, we're now facing a bit of a challenge with Starbucks coming here. I don't know if you know that, that Starbucks... Yeah, is, I, saw, I saw one of them as soon as I stepped off the train. I just yeah. couldn't believe it. I was just appalled. <laughs> and then I saw Macca's, McDonald's, there's so many of them around the place, and Burger King and Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I saw it in West Berlin, as, uh, sorry, East Berlin as well. I, you know, these big multinationals just descend on these new countries, new cities, and just impose their will upon it, yeah. you know? So. And Starbucks makes rubbish coffee anyway. But I find the best coffees tend to be these little holes in the wall somewhere. Yeah. You know, with yeah. one barista who's just passionate about making great coffee and he's struggling to make ends meet. And uh, they're the ones who make amazing coffees. So that's actually impacting you, Starbucks arriving here in town? Because uh, that would just take I, coffees. I, that wouldn't I, take the I wouldn't say cafe. I, I wouldn't say it affects us because, uh, first of all, they haven't set up in our neighborhoods yet. And secondly, and I said this when, when uh, I was being podcasted by Adam, that coffee is like a little different from other kinds of things, other, other products that you sell, that they don't, it seems that they actually, in some ways, competition helps. It bring it raises a consciousness, and mm. that certainly needs in in the Czech Republic the coffee consciousness needed to be raised. And poor poor little Kava 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 was has never been able to on its own raise the coffee consciousness of of the of this uh, Prague. And uh, we've always we've been very popular with expats, very popular with tourists, but the Czechs have always sort of said. What? You want 80 crowns for a cup of coffee? I, I could get three beers for that. What are you talking about? You know, they, they don't get it. They don't, they don't get the coffee thing. And when we told them when we were first opening what we were going to ask for our coffee, they just laughed at us. They right. just said, you're nuts, you're crazy, you'll be out of business in two weeks. That's what they told us. Hmm. We're, well, we're well they didn't know the coffee culture that's around the rest of the world that people like me come to and expect and hope that they get. Yeah. I've had major problems in my travels trying to find good coffee. Um, I've slowly found them and tucked away in little corners. But yeah, it's, uh, but it's a worldwide trend. It's travelling around the world. A lot of people listening to this, hopefully, long term. Any parting thoughts? Any thoughts about the Czech Republic that you'd like to share with the greater world? 
or we came here, or I, I, let me speak for myself, because my wife had her own uh, motivations which relate to her own youth, to coming back here. But I, I came here because I looked at the history of the country. I saw a country that was very successful when, when allowed to be successful, when not being occupied, when not being dominated by some force, had, could be successful. That's, this is why I, you know, I agreed with my wife's idea of coming back here and trying to do a business. And uh, I must say that uh, I haven't, uh, I, I still think I'm right about that. I think the country has an incredibly bright future. I think the people are very bright. The young, at least I know the young people that we work with, and we work with quite a few young people, are very bright and very ambitious and uh, and uh, there's a strong, strong will to succeed. And so... I'm happy to be. I'm happy to be here. But as I've said already in this interview, that uh, I really feel more because of the people who are no longer here with us, people that are you know, are long dead, make me feel more at home here than uh, the people that are still living. Mm. So. so it sounds like the Czech Republic, Prague, with its long history and uh, UNESCO stamp of approval that the city has on it, has maybe a very bright future. In oh, a few I, years' time. Yeah. No, I, I think they're doing great. I hear, you know, I, I hear from tourists coming here, and I speak to a lot of them. They they just can't believe this city. They just uh, they just fall in love with it. There's mm. something about it. It's the most popular city in um, visitor tourist-wise, I think, in, in Europe. Is it? Yeah. I, I think um, it's the most popular. It has the most tourists come through it each year, and it's one of the top six in Europe. It's the top of the top six in numbers. Yeah. Yeah, huge millions of tourists every year I saw on, on Wikipedia. Yeah. So, yeah. It's got a brave new future. Michael, thanks very much for coming on the show. Okay, Ian, and uh, good luck with your travels, and, uh, and I hope you uh, spend some time here. I will. And, uh, I will. And thanks for being with me. Okay. Cheers. There are eight million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them.